Hebrews this morning, chapter 5, if you'll join me there, Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read this morning from verse number 11, and we'll go into chapter number 6 and conclude in verse number 6. The author says, about this, we have much to say, and it is difficult or hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Before we go on, let me just restate that verse. I'm going to cut the middle portion out for our benefit. For it is impossible to restore them to repentance. And we can look at the middle, and we will at some point unfold what the middle says. But it is impossible to restore them to repentance. There's a group of people for whom it is impossible to restore them to repentance. This is a very serious statement. This is a, a warning passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture displays for us the compassionate, caring, concerning heart of a heavenly father. Not just a heavenly father who has restored a group of people to himself for salvation, but a heavenly father who created all things and cares for all things. A heavenly father who gives us John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. A heavenly father who cares about every individual that walks on the face of this earth. This is the, this is the nature of God in this, in this context of scripture. We see him as he compassionately and caringly writes to these people about this idea of dull Christianity. Let me finish the text. He says, since they, are cruc they have crucified once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. The title of this morning's message is Dull Christianity. An article was written in January of 2013 by Steve Everleth, of the Smithsonian Magazine titled, Obesity Could Be the True Killer for Football Players. And the reference was directly related to NFL football players. Obesity 
could be the true killers for NFL football players. This article goes on to discuss how NFL football players are more likely or more at risk of obesity than they are of head injuries. When we think of NFL football players and their risk that they take going out onto the field each day, we would obviously conclude that their greatest risk, or we would think that their greatest risk would be getting hit in the head. And we do see a lot of injuries that take place in the head, and they're constantly um, developing new technology and things to prevent head injuries. But this article goes on to describe and to, to unpack the idea that obesity is a greater danger to an NFL football player than a head injury is. The article goes on to talk about the fact that athletes in the NFL culture get so big as they play in the NFL that once they retire and they stop exercising, they immediately, their body begins to, to grow and it begins to turn that muscle into fat and they begin, they, they get overweight, they get lethargical, they become unhealthy and they are physically at risk. The reason I bring up this story is because it's very applicable to what the author of Hebrews is dealing with here in this passage of Scripture. The same thing can happen to Christians. The same thing, let me say it this way, the same thing can happen to professing Christians. Is we can become lethargical, we can, we can become lazy, we can become lackadaisical, or the word that's used here in this passage is, is the word dull. Now, the word is repeated if you'll go with me, if you're still there in Hebrews um, 6, in verse number 11, the same Greek word is repeated again, and it says, and we desire each one of you to sh show the same earnestness and to um, and to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. These next few weeks, I'd like to take some time to unfold or to unpack for you what it looks like to be a sluggish Christian what it looks like to be a lazy or a lackadaisical Christian, what it looks like to have fallen away from, uh, to start here at the peak or the pinnacle and to, and to slowly move away from that excitement or that joy that we had in Christ and that we should not be deteriorating or declining but should ultimately be growing. Our excitement for Christ should be, coming, should be getting greater. If you're taking notes over the next few weeks, this will be the basic outline. We'll deal this morning with the source of dull Christianity. Next week, we'll deal with signs of dull Christianity. And then the last week or next week, depending on how far we get, will be the solution for, for dull Christianity. The solution for dull Christianity. If you'll keep your hands here in Hebrews chapter number 6 and turn over with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're, we're brought to focus on the same idea of dull Christianity or passionless Christianity. And we... We not only see it in these two texts, but it's, it's actually all throughout the Word of God um, where the Lord talks about people 
having an excitement and then declining. And, and Matthew 13 is a great place as well where there is um, a, uh, a seed that falls into the soil and it springs forth to life, but it grows dull. And we'll look at that here in a minute as well. But he says in 1 Corinthians 3, but I, brother, do not address you as spiritual people, but, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh uh, let's see here. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only as only in a human way? In other words, what what the apostle Paul says in First Corinthians one uh, three is that these 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 signs of immature Christianity are 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 not good signs. He says that they are. You're behaving in such a way as you're just displaying your humanity. You're behaving in, in such a way as you're just displaying your carnality. You're, you're, you're being a human being. And he says, um, he describes it a little bit at the end of this verse when he says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I, Apollos, are you not being mere men or being merely human? So they, they had this conflict, and you guys, we, we, won't, we won't unfold the story, but the issue is, is that there were these, these carnal uh, infant Christians, or, or at least professing Christians, that were not growing in their faith, but they were declining in their faith. They were not growing in their excitement for Christ, but they were declining in their excitement about Christ. The, the beginning was greater than the end. And this is what the author of Hebrews is dealing with. This is what, this is what God is dealing with with us. He's, he's writing to a group of people and he's saying to them, by now you should be teaching. And he's not saying to them, because, you're, because you've grown so much in the faith, you should be teaching the word of God. What he's saying is, is you've been professing to be a Christian for so long. You've been professing to be a Christian for a long period of time. And, and Based upon that reality, you should not just be receiving the word, but you should now be teaching the word. He uses the illustration of babies. He's like, you've been a, you've been a human being for, for 10 years, right? You should no longer be feeding on milk now, but you should now be feeding on meat. And, and in the Christian realm, it's a little bit different because when we take a little baby, we kinda, we kinda, it's, it's kind of visible, right? We can kind of see that that, you know, that kid's 10 years old now and they still want to drink milk, milk all the time. It's visible to us. The spiritual things are not necessarily visible to us. In, in other words, somebody can profess to be a Christian and not, uh, not really be a Christian. Somebody can, can, can claim, can, can even come to church and do certain ceremonial or, or ritualistic things and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but not really be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what the author of Hebrews deals with here in this passage of Scripture. He deals with somebody who has, quote-unquote, an experience. And you'll see at the, in the uh, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 and 6, that there's this experience that somebody has, this spiritual experience. But from there, it's like decline. And the author, is, the author is saying that that ought not to be the case. 
It ought not to be that we have an experience and we decline. It ought to be that we have an experience and we grow. We, we, we mature in Christ. We, we get closer to him. We get more passionate about him. The Christian life becomes more of a joy, not less of a joy. The Bible talks about, and I'm, I'm going it escapes me where, it's in the Gospels, the Lord talks about he who has will get more, but he who does not have what he has, he will also lose. In other words, those who truly have will get more. Those who claim to have will lose what they claim to have. They will, they will go this direction, and others will go this direction. And in the end, it will signify where both individuals are at. I hope that makes sense to you as we build a basis for this this morning. What does it mean to be dull as a Christian? We're going to really zero in on that thought this morning and then, and then some characteristics or some sources of what causes that dullness to take place. Again, in our text here, the word dull is used, dull of hearing, and I entitled this sermon Dull Christianity because dull of hearing just it literally is the implication is Christianity is all about hearing. It's all about hearing and obeying the word of God, hearing God's voice and being obedient to it. That is the essence of Christianity. If you go back to where this story originates in the book of Exodus, when they're coming out of the promise, coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land or preparing to go into the promised land, it was all built around God says something and they refuse to do it. God said something and they refused to do it. God said something and they complained and murmured. It's just the, you see it in the Jewish people in that season. You see this, this decline and not this growth. They didn't, you know, you would think, I would think, you know, crossing through the Red Sea, right? The, the, the water split right down the middle. We go through on dry ground. Um, the, the Egyptian soldiers walk behind us. The water collapses on them. You think, you know what? All complaining over. W- wouldn't you think that? You know, okay, nothing else can happen to the children of Israel that's going to cause them to complain. They just walked through the middle of this huge body of water and it split and there was a wall of water on each side of them and then it killed all their enemies. Complaining over, right? But it's not true, is it? The next situation that they faced, the next, next difficulty that they faced, the next problem that they faced, it was a decline again. Complaining and murmuring and so forth and so on. It, it went to the Lord said, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You have no faith. It exposed them for who they were. And ultimately, it was their condemnation. So let's look in, as a part of the introduction, let's look at a few things. First of all, what does it mean to be dull? The word, the word itself means to be slothful, apathetic, lazy, someone who doesn't really care, or somebody who is lethargic. They just, they just don't care about things anymore. They've gotten to a place where it just doesn't matter. There's no excitement there. There's no joy. There's no passion. They've just lost their focus. I thought about this as well when you think about the idea of dullness, right? And you think about the opposite of dull is sharp. Something is sharp or something is dull. And when something is sharp, it's because something has a point to it, Right? 
You have a knife that has a sharp edge. It means it has a point to it. Something that is dull means that it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a point anymore. It no longer has a purpose. It no longer has a point. It no longer has a sharp edge. It's just kind of there existing. And many people's Christianity becomes that type of a Christianity where it no longer has its point. You see, in the, in the, in the journey of the children of Israel in the wilderness, and, and before they entered the wilderness, what they lost was is they lost their pointiness. They forgot the fact that everything that they did along that journey pointed where? Everything that they did along the journey pointed to God. They lost sight of that, so everything in their journey became dull. It, became in, it, it was no longer significant if they complained, if they murmured, if they, if they fought and, and, and had frustration. None of that mattered anymore because they lost, their, they lost their point. They lost their purpose. They became dull because they no longer had a purpose for what they're doing. When we lose our point as Christians, when you lose your point, when you lose your focus, when you lose your edge as a Christian with why are you doing what you're doing, you begin to do things out of, out of laziness or lackadaisicalness because you're not focused on what the purpose is. What is the point of me doing this? What is the point of me walking with Christ? What is the point of me not complaining? What is the point of me not murmuring? What is the point of all this? When you lose your point, you become dull in your Christianity. You become lethargic. And like that big, that big football player, slowly you begin to decline until you physically will die. Or spiritually, you will show yourself to be dead. Because we've lost, because we lose our point. We lose our purpose. In, in many cases, and, and we'll look at this a little, bit, a little bit later, in many cases it's because we don't, we don't have, we've never had a purpose. We got excited about something, but we never really got the something that we got excited about. We got the excitement for the moment, but we didn't get the something. We didn't get the Lord the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they'll not endure the rich things of the scriptures. They'll not endure the spiritual growth. They're, they're like the ones that are, that are um, claiming to be Christians but still drinking milk, still in those basic stages. There'll come a day where, where the culture as a whole, will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me say this to you. This verse does not imply that people will not be religious. What it does imply is that people's religion will be built around their own passions. It means that they will be religious as long as it fits into their program as what they want to see happening and what they think should happen in the church or in their religious institution or whatever. They will not endure sound teaching from God's word because God's word is going to challenge them. God's word is going to convict them. God's word is going to change them. God's word is going to remove them from the situation. God's word is going to humble them. God's word is going to make them insignificant. So they refuse to listen to those things, but they will then find, they will heap to themselves teachers to find the one that itches their ears the best and makes them feel good about what they want. And then their religion becomes about, their religion becomes about them. 
And God forbid and God help us when our, when our Christianity becomes about us. Because it's no longer Christianity, is it? It's no longer Christ-centered Christianity, but now it's man-centered Christianity. And man-centered Christianity will always lead to destruction. What is dullness? It is when we become lazy in our Christianity, when we see our Christianity as being insignificant and unimportant. And when I say Christianity, and we're going to look at this and unfold it a little bit here in a moment, when I say Christianity, I'm not just talking about somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a Christianity that has changed your world. A Christianity that has changed your life. A Christianity that when you walk up to a situation where you have no water and you haven't had water to drink for a while, that you still don't complain. Because you just saw the Red Sea split. A Christianity that says when you come up to a situation where you don't know where you're going, where you have no direction, you feel lost, you feel, you feel like there, there, there's no hope in this, that you still hope in it. Because you just see the Lord do all of these things throughout your life. That's the Christianity that we're dealing with here. This is the Christianity that's moving up and not moving down. It's an inclining Christianity, not a declining Christianity. Why is this dullness dangerous? The second thought in our introduction. Why is this dullness dangerous? I'm going to just give you one reason. This dullness is dangerous because this dullness often points to the fact that the person has never been saved. This decline often exposes the individual as being an unbeliever. The best case scenario with Hebrews 6 is that these believers have lost their passion. The worst case scenario of Hebrews 6 is that these are religious unbelievers who never had any passion at all. True passion of the heart. This is a people that either has settled their salvation but lost their focus, or this is a people who never settled their salvation. This could be a people that have embraced Jesus <clears throat> but never repented of their sins or placed their faith in Jesus. Did, did that make sense? There's a lot of people in our world today that like to claim the name of Jesus. It's almost like the wise thing to do, right? But they've never repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus, and so their Christianity is like this. This is the people that the author of Hebrews is, this is the people that God is writing to in this text, concerned for them, passionate about them because their Christianity or their proclaimed Christianity is declining, you may ask the question at this point, well, Pastor John, doesn't God know everything? Why would he write to a group of people that aren't even saved? Because God does know everything. God does not only know everything, but God is in control of everything. But yet he writes us in his word about passionately pursuing things that he has already ordained to happen. It's not enough for us just to say God is in control of everything and therefore I can lethargically sit back and watch him do things. 
He does things, and he does things in direct connection with our pursuit of him. He is acting and working graciously towards those who are moving in his direction. You know, I'm sure Abraham would have loved if God would have just simply levitated him off the ground and then moved him into the promised land, right? Did God do that? No, Abraham had to get up and trust God and pack his bags that he failed so many times to do what he was supposed to do. That's a sign of, of frail faith. But he marched and he went and he did what God had called him to do. He obeyed God, not so that he could get to the promised land, but in obedience to God because of faith that God was going to get him to the promised land. This is written to a group of people who continuously try to reset their salvation. This is written to a group of people who continuously try to reset their spiritual standing before God. They're constantly going back to faith and repentance because they have never had repentance and faith. They continuously go back to it. It's like, here's the Christian life. Step one, have faith and repentance in the Lord. Step two, grow in Christ. Teach all things that I have commanded you, for lo, I am with you always. Grow in Christ. Ah, let's go back to step one. I can't do step two. And we're constantly going back to faith and repentance. He says this. this, He says one of the most challenging things that I've ever read in Scripture. He says, let us move past the elementary things of What's the next word in that text? Let us move past the elementary things of Christ. Let us move past the elementary things of Christ. This is a a serious challenge. These people continuously going back, going back, going back to faith and repentance because they have never truly repented and had faith in Christ They have what we know of as a dull Christianity. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39, but my righteousness, but my but by righteousness one shall live by faith. Or my righteousness one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But if he shrinks back, My soul, this is the Lord speaking, this is the Lord's word. This is from God. If he shrinks back, my soul, not the author of Hebrews, but God, who is the author of Hebrews. My soul has no pleasure in him. If he shrinks back, if he keeps going back, if he keeps going back, my soul has no pleasure in him because it is revealing that that individual has never had repentance of his sins or faith in Christ. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. I tend to believe that this passage of Scripture is a a strong warning to those who have a profession of faith but continue to decline. There is too many Scriptures written in God's word that define a Christian as not one who is declining, but one who is embracing 
Christians are defined as those who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Christ. Christians are defined as one who hates everything else except for Christ. Christians are defined as one who sells everything to have Christ. Christians are defined as those who leave everything behind for the cause of Christ. Christians are defined by those who are willing to lose their riches, their status, their power, their prestige, their possessions. Christians are defined as ones who are willing to lose everything for the purpose and the sake of Christ. There is no laziness in Christianity. Because God lives in the individual's hearts God lives in your heart and in my heart if you're saved this morning. And there is no laziness or lethargy with God. A lady once asked a preacher friend, he said, she said to him, I think I'm saved, but I don't know if I'm saved. And the preacher friend went on to say to this lady, so you're, what you're telling me is that the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the one who controls everything, the one who by his, the word of his mouth can make something appear and make something disappear. So what you're telling me is he lives inside of you and you don't know. What a, what a powerful statement. God of the universe, he, he went on to illustrate she was, she was holding a two liter of, of Coke or Pepsi or something. I'm, I'm not advertising for anything this morning, but she was holding a two liter of something. And he asked her the question, he said, if I were to ask you to take that two liter of whatever it was and, and eat it, to eat the whole two liter and all that's in it, and to eat that and that would go inside of you, he said, would you know it was in you? Would you know what you had done? She's like, yeah, I, I, surely I would know if I, if I did that. And he went on to say, but you're going to tell me that God lives inside of you when you don't know it? We get lethargic, declining. It's so important that we, we understand what's being taught here and, and how to resist it. How to resist it, how to war against this declining, this dull, this lethargic, this lazy Christianity. Anybody can claim to be a Christian. Listen, anybody can claim to be a Christian. And there are people who can claim to be a Christian for long seasons of time. But what matters is not what you claim. What matters is what is, a re what is the reality that God knows about you. And the only way that you know the reality of God towards you is not what you think about yourself, but that you wash your pattern and you compare your pattern to the Holy Scriptures, you will find where you are with him. So that brings us this morning to our thought for this morning. What is the cause of this dullness? The source, if you will, if you're taking notes, it's alliterated for the next few weeks. The source, what is the source of dull Christianity? Listen, folks, there is, nothing, there is nothing more exciting in life than our Christianity. There's nothing. I've been watching the World Series. I don't know if you're into that or not, but I've been watching the World Series a little bit here and there. And, man, some of the games are exciting. Last night I watched the, the Houston Astros, uh, you know, ninth inning. They go into the – can I tell you guys a story? 
They're going into the ninth inning, the top of the ninth. The Yankees are down by two. They come up to bat. They hit a two-run homer. They tie the game. Everybody's all excited. The fans are going crazy that are there for New York. They come into the bottom of the ninth. Houston gets up to bat. Two outs, guy on first base. The guy hits a home run and ends the game. You guys think that this, there's excitement? That's excitement, isn't it? Listen, Christianity is way more exciting than that. It doesn't look like it very much, does it? Christianity is way more impactful than that. People will walk away from that game, and after this next week is over, and the World Series has been won, they'll never remember that game. It's true, isn't it? What causes us to become lazy, lethargical in our Christianity? Let me just go with me back to our text this morning. He says this, about this, we have much to say, but it, but it is hard to explain. In other words, there's a lot to say about Christ and his priestly work. That's what, he's, that's what he's referring back to. There's much to say about Christ and his priestly work, but you're not able to, you're not able to handle it, he says, because you, have, because you have grown dull. And I just want to focus for the next few minutes on this word, become. You have become dull. The implication of this word is that this is a process. The dullness that we experience is something that takes place in, in a process. Um, the word is the Greek word genomai, and it just simply means to cause to be, to become, to be brought. To, over time, these things begin to develop in your life. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've either experienced this word genomai in regards to becoming more Christ-like, or you've experienced this, this term as being the things that I don't have, the things that I, if I don't have, the things that I do have, I will also lose as well. You've, also, you've actually experienced this decline. I got saved, but man, life just went. No, I'm not talking about problems, because problems are going to be there, but I'm talking about life as a Christian. It shouldn't go that way, it should go this way. So this is something that takes place as a process, something that takes place over time. Things are happening in your life every single day, and they're either revealing that you're passionate about Jesus, or they're revealing that you're not passionate about Jesus. They're revealing that you are listening to Jesus. They're revealing that you are obedient, submissive to Jesus. They're revealing these things, or they're revealing the opposite. They're revealing one of the two. You are growing one way or the other. You are either growing spiritually for Christ or you're growing dull about Christ. Matthew 13 and verse 15, the Bible says, for this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should hear with their eyes or ears, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn so that I might heal them. This is the process. Things are happening in your life every day, revealing to you where you're at spiritually. And every response that you have, whether it be Moses, when God says, hey, speak to that rock and water will come out, and Moses is like, I ain't gonna speak to this rock, I'm gonna strike it. In that moment, God said, you have misrepresented me to the people and you will not, now not enter the promised land. Even that very act, you say, well, none of these things don't matter. It doesn't matter if I get angry with my kids. It doesn't matter if I get angry with my wife. It these things don't matter. Listen, you lost your point. 
You've lost your point because it does matter. It matters to God. It matters to Jesus Christ. It matters to his reputation and his testimony. It may not matter to you, but it matters to him. If we're going to grow dull, we're going to think that things in the Christian life don't matter. This is not the reality. Every little thing that we do, every little action that we do, it matters. Yes, we do it with frailty. Yes, we do it faultily. Yes, we do it imperfectly. All of these things are true about us. But listen to me. Never say it doesn't matter. Because it does matter. You are reflecting on Christ. And every word that you say, and every action that you do, and every complaint that you express, it all is a reflection on our God. It does matter. And when we say it doesn't matter, we are giving in, listen, we are giving in to the devil. When we, be, listen, at least say, it doesn't matter and I'm a failure. Right? That's a better thing, right? It matters and I fail at it all the time. That's an accurate statement, but never say it doesn't matter. Listen, too many of us Christians have gone down this road where nothing matters anymore to us. Hey, listen, I'm saved. I got Jesus. I'm going to heaven. My ticket is stamped. Nothing else matters. It does matter. It does matter. This is what he's referring to here. This is this dullness about the Christian life. It is a process. The dullness is a process that that we are drawn into. It's not just an event. The second thought of this is the dullness is a product Not just a process, but it is a product. The the word implies both, meaning that it is something that happens over time, but also something that happens as the result of other things. And I want to just give you five things. Five things that happen in your life that will, if you're not careful, will lead you into dullness, will lead you into laziness to being, um, it doesn't really matter, attitude towards Christianity. Number one is difficulty. Difficulty will lead us into lethargy towards our Christianity. In other words, when our Christian life brings us to face greater difficulties, right? Greater, sometimes when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean things get easier, it means they get harder, right? Sometimes in the Christian life, things are not going to level out and everything's just smooth as can be, but there's going to be full of of hills and valleys. It is these difficulties that will often motivate greater passion. You you remember the 12 spies, right? They went in, 10 of them come back and they're like, there's no way we can do this, right? It doesn't really matter if we go in, guys. We can't beat them anyway. God had said, this is where you're going. They said, it doesn't really matter if we go But you know what? Two guys came out with this excited passion. It's a challenge in front of us, and our God has promised us the victory. Let us face it like David faced Goliath. Let us face it like Daniel faced the lion's den. Let us face it like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fiery furnace. Let us face it with passion for Christ. Difficulty is going to drive us either to to being lazy or exclusive about our Christianity or it's going to drive us to becoming more passionate about it. If your Christianity causes you greater difficulty and pain, you will either 
take your Christianity less seriously or you will find a Christianity that is less serious. Let me say that again. If your Christianity causes you to face greater difficulty and pain, you will either find a Christ, you will either take your Christianity less seriously or you will find a Christianity that is less serious. Matthew 13, let me read it to you, verse 20 through 22. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Excitement, wow, the word of God, it's true. It's living, oh no, it's a red sea in front of me. Oh no, it's this challenge or that challenge. This makes things different now. I I was excited here. Moses came in and said, you're gonna be set free from Egypt. No more bondage. But he didn't say anything about a Red Sea. And he didn't say anything about no water and, and no bread or no meat. Or he didn't say anything about that. They receive with joy the word of God yet have no root in themselves, but yet endure for a while. But when tribulation and persecution, and heartache, and difficulty, and challenges. And if you're looking at your Bible, you'll know that I'm adding all of those, but they go with what's happening. If these things arise on account of the word, immediately you fall away. When the word of God challenges your heart, when the word of God convicts you about sin, when the word of God tells you to change, when the word of God tells you that you're wrong, that when that happens, you, you immediately forsake the word of God. I heard a preacher once say recently, said, we're so quick to claim the Old Testament promises of God for ourselves, but we're so quick to refuse the Old Testament judgments of God for the people of that time. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. In other words, difficulty, challenges. The rich man in Matthew 19, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. How many of you would want to hear that this morning? Go and sell, okay, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. Go and sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and you can be my disciple. Luke 9. The man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. He says, okay, know this. Birds of the air have nest. I have nowhere to lay my head. Meaning you'll have nowhere to sleep. Not only that, but you might think that you need to go home and take care of your inheritance. Don't worry about your inheritance. That'll take care of itself. You serve me. You might put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Difficulties are going to come in Christians' lives. It's not to, it should not cause us to decline. It should cause us to become more passionate about Christ. Number two, not only does difficulty drive us to, uh, to dullness in our Christian life, but familiarity also will drive us to dullness. This is those who sit under the preaching of God's word week after week after week, and they learn to do what? They learn to hear without hearing. 
It means that they can open up God's word and they have their morning devotions and they never do anything with it. This is where we become dull. We become dull if we don't take what we've learned and make application to it. If you don't take the truths that God is presenting to you, the voice of God is speaking to you, the voice of God is talking to you through his word, if you don't make application to what you're hearing from God's word, you will become dull towards God's word. For many of us today, the reality is this. The word of God is simply a book that we've grown accustomed to reading each day of our lives, but it has not impacted us. This is a familiarity that we must be cautious of. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 2, just a few sections prior to this, he says that they heard the same promises of God, but the promises had no impact on them because they were not mixed with, with what? With faith. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. In other words, here's what he's saying is you hear the promises of God, but you have no action and they do not matter and they do not do anything. We must be careful not to become hearers and not doers. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. We love that part, don't we? But he says this, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do them, that we may do the words of this law. Yes, the secret things belong to the Lord, but listen to me. In the same way that the secret things are responsibility of God, the revealed things are the responsibility of us. Never lose sight of that. Familiarity without, without action will drive us to greater Dullness. Number three, presumption. Presumption drives us, drives us to dullness. What do you mean by presumption? Simply this. When an individual assumes on God's mercy and grace. When an individual assumes or presumes on God's mercy and grace, they no longer found the, find the Christian life significant. They no longer see the urgency. They no longer hear the warnings of God's word. Why? Because they presume that God is going to show them mercy and grace. There's something unique about them that God's going to show them mercy and grace. And so they presume on that while the word of God gives them challenges other places and other directions and, and warnings. I've heard, I've heard so many people, and I've taken them to Scripture. Some people say, I believe in Jesus, and I know that I'm saved, and, and, and here is what my life looks like. And I've taken them to 1 Corinthians 6, and I said, listen, the Bible says that no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. They say, it doesn't matter what that says. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And they presume on the grace and mercy of God, and they don't take his word seriously. This presumption leads us to dullness. If God's word says it, Revelation says all liars and, and all those who do not believe and those who are not passionate, they will, have their place, they will have their place in a lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. This is a serious warning. But when you presume on God's mercy and grace, you don't take it seriously anymore. 
You no longer see the words of God as being pointed at you. You no longer see his warnings as meaning anything to you. This is the people of Hebrews 6. Listen, we've experienced God back here. It doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. The book of 1 John is written in its entirety about how to know that you have eternal life. And every verb or every uh, verb in that in that book that refers to the assurance of salvation is written in the present tense. It's don't look at what happened yesterday to be sure that Christ is with you. Look at what's happening right now to assure that Christ is with you. There have been many people, I know know some personally who live their life professing Jesus Christ and today they're atheists. They stopped fighting They stopped believing. They became lazy and lethargical and they opened the door for the devil to get in, proving that they were never a part of God's family. But listen, we must fight that. We must resist that that happening to us. God gives us grace, but we must fight as well. God guided the stone of David into the forehead of Goliath, but David slung the sling and he let go of it and he threw it that direction. We cannot become lazy about our Christianity. We will find ourselves one day looking back after this whole journey and saying, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. God forbid that that happens. But it doesn't happen like that, folks. It happens over this long journey of people seeing their Christianity as insignificant and unimportant. It's it's sad. It saddens me sometimes how we, even how we view the things of God. One of the first days of the week that has been sacrificed to this world is what day? Honestly, what day is it? Sunday has been sacrificed to the Lord, to the world. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. The devil is not, is not, the devil is not foolish. He knows exactly what he's doing. The one thing that we're least likely to give up The one thing that we're, let me say it this way, the one thing that we're most likely to give up in a week when we're calculating our schedule, do you know what it is? You know what it is. It's the church. This is simply a reality. Why? Because it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't doesn't make any difference. And so the next generation is going to be less likely, and the next generation, I'm I'm scared of what we're going to face in the next generation's. Why? Because our Christianity has become lazy. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, you're familiar with it. Come unto me, all ye who are, all you who are resting on your couches and not working at all, come to me and I will give you rest. Is that what it says? What does it say? Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Until you realize the burden that has been placed on your back and your inability to satisfy it, you will not come to Christ. We presume on the grace and mercy of God way too much. We must take his justice and his wrath seriously. Number four. Ignorance. Ignorance. Ignorance is just simply not knowing. Some people 
are lethargical in their Christianity because they just simply don't know. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34 and verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And some people just haven't tasted. They've never tasted the goodness of the Lord. They're ignorant of the goodness of the Lord. And listen, by, for all intents and purposes, many, much of that is a reflection of the Christianity that they're around. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us or constrains us. If you've never tasted it, it doesn't compel you or constrain you. You need to learn, you need to grow in the knowledge of the truth so that you can then be passionate and excited about it. And then lastly, this morning is erred teaching or heresy if you're taking notes. Teaching, teaching that promotes pointless Christianity. Teaching that promotes pointless Christianity will lead to pointless Christians. Every aspect of the Christian life is for the glory of God. Every action of a Christian should be for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Why? Because everything you do reflects on him. For Christians, it's not about us, it's about him. We serve with passion because we love him and we know what he has done for us. John Piper speaks of the prosperity gospel in this way. He says this, it is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor, saying, believe this message and your pigs won't die and your wife won't have miscarriages and you'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. This is the gospel message that's coming out of America and going into other countries. People ought to give, he goes back and says, people ought to give of their money and their time and their lives instead of selling themselves out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's air teaching, and that air teaching leads a person to becoming lazy or lackadaisical in their faith. And there is much air teaching today. There is much flawed teaching today in our world and in our culture. And we must fight against it. Listen, folks, lest we come to a place, and I'm going to close with this, lest we come to a, a place where we realize that our salvation and our Christian life is important, it is significant, that we resist the things and fight against those things that oppose it. We realize that the righteousness that God promises to us is not just a positional righteousness, but it is a practical righteousness. And that when you don't see the practical righteousness being worked out in your life, that it concerns you for the glory of God. When we get the fact that this is all about God's glory, we will resist those things that fight against it. I want to close with this verse, Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But the gate is narrow and the way is difficult 
that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. You challenge our hearts to think, to think clearly, to think honestly, to think biblically. Lord, help us to be, help us to be real with what you've given us. Lord, help us to take this seriously, to walk away from this truth and say, Lord God, there is a process, there is a journey that I'm on, and it's not to become dull, but it's to become sharp. To take the things of Christ seriously and to resist and avoid all of those things that would point us to dull Christianity or purposeless Christianity. We pray that you would help us this morning, that you'll be with us in this journey. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.